calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. <laughs> back with qz timeline ben happy new year yes officially the first show of the year the tuesday timeline i'm excited it's been a few weeks and uh this one should be fun and we only uh spent like a day in 2024 before we had to jump into the DeLorean. we're back in 1988 and how fitting that it is the holiday season it's thanksgiving Indeed, actually, um, officially, it actually was Thanksgiving night, according to um, Grilla Monsoon. Yes. So it is the holiday season. We are going to get into WWF Survivor Series 88. However, we will do that once I return from the movies. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, Ben. Of course, as as I always do on Cheesy's Timeline, I went to the movies again this week. And which, which movie did you see this time? And I went to see a movie that you would absolutely love. This was a great holiday movie starring Bill Murray. And this movie is an, an, a, a new twist on an old tale. This is called Scrooged. I love that movie. I love that movie so much. Seven o'clock, Psycho sees Santa's workshop, and only Lee Majors can stop them. In the night, the reindeer die. Be here. You can't show that commercial. The thing looked like the, the Manson family Christmas special. Think I'm way off base? Yes, you're, well, you're a tad off base, sir. Frank Cross is more than the youngest network president in television history. Call security, have them change his locks, and toss him out of the building. Oh, he's fired? It's Christmas. Thank you. Call the county. Stop his bonus. Watch out. He's a thoughtful boss. Thanks, boys. Get the nurse. A generous brother. What did he give you last year? Uh, I don't remember. A shower curtain. Ma'am, I think you dropped something here. And a true humanitarian. I can't get the antlers glued onto this little guy. We tried crazy glue. And he tried staples. But his life is about to change.
Okay, that was a fun movie. I really enjoyed that and how fitting that I went to see that movie around the Thanksgiving slash Christmas season. Very good. It's uh, um, is that actually in all seriousness, is one of my favorites. Yeah, I, it's I, a, I love that it's, movie. It's a different take on a classic, but it's um, it's a, it's a good one. Yep. All right, so Ben, what do you say we get into WWF Survivor Series 1988? Yes, sir. All right, it is November 24th. We are live from the Richfield Coliseum in Richfield, Ohio. Local time, 8 p.m., and it is the second annual Survivor Series. So, Ben, we had four matches on this uh, card tonight. I'll tell you what, this was a long show for uh, four matches. Maybe even longer by the fact that I was, um, I went back and, you know, watched several different segments of, um, ver- of the matches several times. Um, just so I could, like, you know, understand what was going on. The the one match that I really had difficulty with, to tell you the truth, and we'll get into this uh, more as we go down the the review, but my, my initial opening thoughts is the tag team, uh, the tag team Survivor Series match, was very uh, confusing on a multitude of fronts. Because, uh, so I'm guessing you have a lot of questions to ask me. Uh, yes. So um, make sure. I don't know if you have notes in front of you for this particular um, episode. Um, but, um, you know, you might want to pull up the participants in the match or uh, something. Actually, uh, let me do that because... You know what? We're gonna play a, a a game because there was. Did you notice uh, something about this about this uh, pay per view that was uh, even that was even clearer than the first Survivor Series? Yeah, absolutely. And um... no, I, I just, did. You notice? Uh, something about this Survivor Series, this one, as opposed to the first one? Um, in regards to what? The teams. Yeah, it, it was, it was five on five rather than four on four. 
Yeah, but uh, we're going to get into because what we're going to do is do you have the participants in the teams in front of you? Yes. Okay, as do I. Now, what you're going to do is because there were multiple storylines going on at this time, you're going to we're going to go through the matches. You're going to give me the names of like the members on like whatever match we're on. And I'll tell you what uh, what program was going on at that time? Okay, very good. All right, so Ben was a three month three months old in '88 when this pay per view took place. Yes, I was. I hadn't even had my first Christmas present yet. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the first match. Ben, what do we have? So the. The first one is Team Honky Tonk Man versus Team Ultimate Warrior. And All the right. participants consisted of, obviously, the Honky Tonk Man, Ron Bass, Danny Davis, Greg Valentine, and Bad News Brown, accompanied by Jimmy Hart, okay. versus the aforementioned Ultimate Warrior, Brutus Beefcake, Sam Houston, the Blue Blazer, and Jumping Jim Bronzel. Now, before right. we get before we get into the um, specifics of the match, which trust me, we're, we're going to do. Um, I was immediately I was confused because one, and this happened on several of the matches, but in this one. One name in particular struck struck out to me as not belonging in this bunch. Uh oh. Okay. Was, Go on. I think I know who it is. Go on. And that was Sam Houston. Oh. Okay. Um. Because. Well, and and the Blue Blazer, to tell you the truth, both of those um were just very strange to me. Okay. Um, I, I, I thought you were gonna say Jim Brunzel. <laughs> No, it, well, th- well, that was weird because, um, you know, it what he wasn't part of the killer bees in this instance. Yeah. Um. That's why I said I thought you were gonna say he he was the one that uh, didn't belong. But um, you know, it just all of these guys, with the exception of Bad News Brown, are so much higher profile than Sam Houston that to me he sticks out like a sore thumb. Okay. Um, in this match. So, do you want me to give you the backstory on uh, each uh, wrestler in this match? Absolutely. All right. All so the weird part about this was that there were co-captains. So there were two act captains for each team. And like you, actually, I've never seen this pay per view. This was the first time I saw it because I, like I said, um. The last episode, I believe at this time I had to spend a day in the hospital. So afterwards, I wasn't even thinking about wrestling at that time. So I missed out on this pay-per-view. So I'm watching this for the first time myself. But I know all the matches and all the stories here. So the co-captain are the Ultimate Warrior and Brutus Beefcake, I believe, right? Yes. Ultimate Warrior was feuding with the Honky Tonk Man off of uh, 
last episode where we looked at SummerSlam. Yes. Brutus Beefcake, again, off of the last uh, episode, SummerSlam 88, he was feuding with Ron Bassett this time. That, that's such a weird feud. Sam Houston was supposedly in a program with Danny Davis. I don't know. Danny Davis, uh, he had a problem. Danny Davis seemed to have a problem with Sam Houston for some reason. And Houston took exception to some of the calls that Davis made during his matches when he was refereeing. Well, it, it's funny because there was virtually no no interaction if that's the it, I'm sure that is because that's what you're telling me. I have no reason to doubt you. But, um, you know, if that's the case, then um, then Danny Davis's participation in this match is even is equally as confusing because uh, he was eliminated 78 seconds into the match. And that's that's why he was taken out of... Out of the match early on, at this at the very beginning, because like he really has no place in this match. <laughs> that like he he was the referee that uh, all the faces hated. So yeah, he was going to be a target, but it's just um, it it struck me as strange. And the Blue Blazer and Jim Brunzel were just there to. Round out the team because Banner's Brown just hates everyone. <laughs> well, yeah, and um, and he walked out after uh, getting into a, a shoving match. Now, with, Ben, um, with Greg Valentine. Yeah. Now, Ben, let me ask you a question. First of all, it was interesting to see for the first. Uh, Time the both members of the dream team in the ring against each other, BPK Valentine. However, yes. do you know about uh Greg Valentine's tag team in the 90s? Do you remember his tag team in the 90s? No, so this match will foreshadow a future tag team with involving Greg Valentine and the Honky Tonk Man. And they would be known as rhythm and blues in the nineties. Yeah, I mean I've heard of that tag team, but I'm I'm not familiar with them. So basically, Hong Kong Man was was a younger Elvis. Greg Valentine dyed his hair black. He had he had the sunglasses. He looked like the older Elvis. I don't oh, know. If, I'll, I'll find a picture of you, and I'll send it to you, and you'll see what I'm talking about. All right, so. What do you have for this match? So, um, hold on, I'm having a wrestling match with my headphones. Do you need okay. the, Do you need a referee? Yeah, <laughs> not Danny Davis because apparently he's terrible. Um, but over overall, it took me a little bit of time to get into this match because I kind of had to figure out. Um, you know, via the commentary, what was what was going on um, between each person, and um, you know, nothing about this match really stood out to me because nobody was really a big name outside of um, you know Warrior and Honky Tonk Man, so it was 
So it was just like. Oh, what it, do you mean? What do you mean? No one's really big names. Well, well, listen, listen to the listen to the lineup though. I mean, because in addition to the Honky Tonk Man and the Ultimate Warrior, you, you have you have the you have Ron Bass, Danny Davis. Bad news, Brian. I mean, Greg Valentine was somewhat big, but not. I mean, you know. It just seemed like a weird combination of people. Okay. Like I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, it, I understand that that's what they do for Survivor Series, but like in later years, at least there was a thread between them. You know what I mean? Versus like it was individual against individual based on the feuds. Well, that's and that's they, why that, they were put in the match, but there's no. But that's what you're doing here. It's quite. I mean, there was, but there was no. Go on. And and I understand that, but I'm just saying, like, it it seemed in later years, there was at least some cohesion between the teams. They had a common goal. Oh, versus, yeah. Versus like here. It was just based off the individual feuds, and they happened yeah, to come I together to form a team. No, yeah, okay, I know again what you're saying. All right. Um, so, um, oh shit, wrong button. Hold on, I'm gonna pull the uh, the car back up. So, um, and and the other the other thing too is, and now now I know this is bound to happen in you know large format matches like this, but there was a lot of um, bullshittery going on on the outside. <laughs> um, so it was kind of hard to um, follow what was happening at, at certain points because, you know, um, not only did Bad News Brown get into a shoving match with Valentine and he walked out, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have um, – there was just it's, – it's hard to describe because there was just a lot of moving parts, so to speak. And, like, for me, I was trying to understand the feuds and and what the connection between the, the, the combatants was. Mm-hmm. And there was just a lot of uh, – there was just too much bullshit and it like the the um the intricacies of the match got lost for me, I guess. And um you know, so it was hard to maintain interest in this one and plus the the outcome with the ultimate warrior being uh the sole survivor um was was very predictable because he's easily the biggest star in the match. Okay. Even, even in November of 88. Because you have to keep in mind that SummerSlam is when he won the the IC title from Honky Tonk Man. So he was riding um, he was riding the wave of momentum which continued to hear. But in terms of in terms of notable happenings Within the match, um, I didn't really catch any like 
marquee memorable moments that we still talk about today in this match. The the ongoing storyline was was um, Bad News Brown and him going off, you know, vigilante um, solo. Um, so for a for a Survivor Series match, this was this was kind of weak for me. All right. Well, Ben, we can send you something on your messenger. Go ahead and open up what I sent you. Okay. And what were your thoughts on this match? What did you What did you think? Yeah. Um. This one uh, wasn't. Uh, was just okay. Wasn't a great opening match. I like. I didn't like how the way the whole team fell apart with Benny to walking out. I thought that was the that was the week, and that brought the match down. Yeah, because it's like, why Why would they care that he walked out? He was a, you know, he was... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get that, like, he doesn't, he doesn't like anyone, and, like, uh, he's only out for himself and stuff, but in this, in this uh, match, that's because it's called Survivor Series. Well, and, and that's why it was so interesting that he was included in the lineup, because there was nothing, there was nothing teamwork about Bad News Brown at all. So, you know, it was just, it was hard to follow, and um, I was trying to figure out why these people were in the match and and what the hook was. And and on top of that, I don't remember, um, I don't remember Ultimate Warrior using the double axe handle as a finisher. Well, that was a weak finish. I can't believe he won the match with a double axe handle to the face. What? That I mean, that was very weird. Since and, since when does that uh, win a match? It's just you know. So so the and he pinned. He hit the and he hit the move talking about the double axe handle on. Uh, Great Hammer Valentine. Okay, right. The match. Yeah. Okay, Great Valentine. That's what I was about to ask. Will he hit it on again? That, okay, that's right. Yeah, but that was uh, that was a terrible finish. Yeah. So so that plus the um that plus the um uh bad news brown stuff mm-hmm. and my lack of understanding of you know why each person was in the match. Kind of took this down for me. I mean, was it bad? No, but just in terms of a, in terms of a, um, you know, the structure of the match that it was. Yeah. You know, because because if you really think about it, you know, this one was was like eighteen minutes long, and the others were like a, a half hour long. Yeah. Okay, Ben, did you open your messenger? Um, I saw the one with Ultimate Warrior on No, I, I, I sent you another one as well. Oh, okay. Hold on. On the fly. That tells you we really don't rehearse these things, folks. No, we don't. All right. So... Of course, oh, here, here we go. Okay, so the first, uh, the first one, the warrior, that is the November nineteen eighty eight issue WF magazine that I had 
which I had all the results from SummerSlam 88. I had to wait three months for SummerSlam 88 results. Oh, that sucks. That's terrible. <laughs> and uh, the second is uh, Rhythm and Blues, Honky Tonk Man, and Greg Timber Valentine. Yes, and, and I'm, I'm looking at the picture, and this is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, and you see what I'm saying? Valentine looks, looks like the older Elvis, and Honky Tonk looks the younger Elvis. Exactly. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah, oh. it definitely was. All right, so that is that all we have for the match number one? Yes. All right, on to the second match. This was the one that confused you. Uh, my brain was going a million miles an hour trying to keep up with everything. Okay? Because this was, this was, and thank God we still have nine minutes left because I'm going to use up every single bit of this okay. asking questions about this goddamn match. All right, I have answers. So this was a 10 ta tag team a 10 tag team survivor series match where it's like if one per if one person in the tag team got eliminated that means that the whole team was eliminated mm -hmm. um so the match consisted of you know, let me just move you so you're not blocking the participants hold on move over here Elliot. you're always in my way what um no, so it consisted of Demolition, the Brain Busters, the Bolsheviks, mm -hmm. the Fabulous Rougeos, mm -hmm. and the Conquistadors, Uno and Dos. And they had, this was, this was part of the problem because there were so many bodies on the outside of the ring. Listen to the list of managers that were in this motherfucking situation. Okay. You have you have Mr. Fuji. Yep. Representing uh, demolition. Yep. You have Bobby Heenan. You have Slick, and you have Jimmy Hart. Yep. <laughs> now on the other side, you have the Powers of Pain, con consisting of the Warlord and the Barbarian. Okay. The Rockers. Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Fun fact, I was doing research uh, leading up to this, and I discovered that this was Shawn Michaels' first pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that was cool. Uh, the British Bulldogs, the Hart Foundation, and the Young Stallions. Now, pardon me, because I'm going to sound like a dick. Okay. But, but... Out of all the tag teams I just mentioned, which one seems out of place among these heavy hitters on the tag teams? The Conquistadors. The, the, well, there's two of them. The Conquistadors and the Young Stallions. Okay. Because to me, it's like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Well, here we go. Here we go with the backstory. Okay. Very good. So, now, Ben, did you notice something about uh, this match the, the, how many double turns have you seen in WF so far up, I, to, up to this point I haven't seen a lot of them but I mean the way that the way that it was executed was was awesome 
There's only been one, and that was Jake Snake and the Honky Tonk Man. So, Powers of Pain have been feuding with Demolition at this time, and uh, this was, of course, a double turn. Right. The, the Rockers uh, were feuding with the Rainbusters. The British Bulldogs were feuding with the Rougeau Brothers. The Heart Foundation um, were feuding with the Bolsheviks, I want to say, or it's either the Young or the or the Young Stalin. I think both of them were were at one time feuding with the Bolsheviks. Conquistadors, I don't know why they were even in the match. Uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a little bit random for me. Now, a little bit of a story here. Dynamite, the British Bulldogs, this was their last pay-per-view. Dynamite Kid left after this, and British Bulldog returned in 1991 as the British Bulldog. And um, apparently uh, this, there was a story that would be too, there were a lot of, like, problems between the Harf the Bulldogs and the Rougeau brothers, like like with the Bulldogs playing tricks on the Rougeau brothers and their things getting out of hand and Jacques Rougeau punched uh Dynamite Kid in the face and knocked a few teeth out. Well, that doesn't surprise me considering the uh the time so, period and those involved. So the uh, the Rougeaus and Bulldogs do not like each other. So that took place Backstage at uh, one of the shows, and um, then my kid left after this pay per view. Well, and and uh, you know, it, it wasn't just because of that. I think no, I no, think... I'm saying no, I'm saying he left. He left after this pay per view. This was his last one. Right, because he had a lot of he had a lot of issues. Yeah, a lot of uh, back problems and stuff. Yeah. Um. So. Um, so before we get kicked off, and obviously we're going to continue with this match mm-hmm. um, after the break because we're just getting into it. Um, you know, it was just... I just... I just wish they had cut out a little bit of the... a little bit of the bullshit. And, and by, by that, I mean... You know the countouts and people forgetting that they were in the middle of a Survivor Series match, and like it, it really undermined the stipulation of Survivor Series. Yeah, it's like if people are just gonna forget and get counted out, and you know, fight amongst themselves. What is what is the point here? I think and, it it kind of fell apart at the end for me, like. Uh, the double the double turn was awesome the way it was executed, but like I forgot like the conquistadors were the last ones in the ring against Powers of Pain. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well that was very weird. And and then and then in the midst of all that you have the powers of pain helping up Mr. Fuji, so you're you're witnessing the evolution of the double turn. Yep. And there was just a lot going on. So um, I, don't get it twisted, guys. We're gonna get right back into this match. There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I got a lot of questions for the professor. Oh, good. I love questions. That's why you you you, you say you feel bad for like messaging me a lot, but don't because then I take your questions and then I have them in front of me. Very good. So um, stay stay tuned, and uh, I will be back with my thinking cap. We'll be right back. 
Alright, we are back and we are going to continue our look at Survivor Series 88. We were looking at the uh, tag team match, really, right? Yes, the 10 man tag. 10 man tag match. Or okay, the 10. The you, 10 tag team. You said you have yeah. questions for me. What is your first question? So, okay. What what preempted the double turn? Sorry, what how, how do you mean? So what what caused demolition to turn on Mr. Fuji and uh or Mr. Fuji to turn on demolition? And uh, the powers of pain to join to join him. Oh, okay. Uh, see now that one. I'm not really sure. Wow, what, what exactly the story behind that was? All I know is that like is uh, all I remember is that from reading the magazine because I got these results from the WH magazine because obviously I hadn't seen their pay per view. Right. But all I know is that. Uh, Fuji held the rope down, Smash Winds fell to the outside, and then uh, all of a sudden they got counted out, and uh, Fuji turned on them. So that is all I really I can really tell you is uh, as far as the double turn. But that would uh, that leads into 1989, which we will get into starting next week. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that. Because uh so now um, now, now sure. and the, the feud continues only this time demolition are the faces and the powers of pain are the heels. Cool. Yeah. Um that that turn was very interesting because of the way that it was executed. Mm-hmm. Um which I I thoroughly enjoyed that. So I don't know um, if I answered your question there. Well, no, no, but you know, if you don't, if you don't know the answer, you don't know the answer. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. that, that's fine. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I'll tell you what: some of these eliminations were weird. <laughs> okay, because case in point, um, the. The Heart Foundation uh, eliminating the Brain Busters. Mm-hmm. Okay. First of all, I was so happy to see the Brain Busters because, you know, the, right? you know the, those Arn Anderson is like my all time favorite, like old school wrestler. I really, I really like that team. Yeah. And, and that team was just awesome. So so then they do this this bullshit, okay? Where they there's an Irish whip into the corner, uh-huh. followed by I believe a suplex by Neidhart on Blanchard. After the after that, Hart hits a backbreaker. Also on Blanchard, followed up by an inverted atomic drop, and then he he, he goes with, with a bridging German suplex out of the corner, and it was so obvious. My God, pro wrestling referees are the dumbest human beings alive. You know, if, if um, 
you know, if, if this was real sports, he'd be out of a job real quick. <laughs> let me let me let me explain this to you because uh, it, it was so obvious that um that Tully Blanchard's shoulders were still up, but yet the ref kept counting. Um, so so pretty, but pretty much, I think they fixed it because. What ended up happening was Hart got Hart and Neidhart got eliminated because Bret Hart's shoulders were down when he suplexed on Tully Blanchard. So the Hearts pretty much eliminated themselves. So it's like, what the fuck? So automatically that takes the match down a peg because I, I'm. I can't tell you how many times I rewound it trying to figure out what the fuck happened. So Ben, I was looking uh I was looking uh, around to uh try and answer your last question. That there there really is no reason for the turn other than just to uh just have a Fuji uh, split from demolition. Because I'm not seeing anything else as to what reason they had here. Yeah, but I mean, that's a... I, Mr. Fuji and Demolition strikes me as a weird combination. Um, and then there was another... There was another fucking fuckery with the... I did that on purpose with the... Um, with the eliminations. And I... I don't I don't know which one pissed me off more, the Heart Foundation's elimination or the British Bulldog's elimination. Okay? Because Elio, I swear to God. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> oh no. The theme the needs needs to help. I, I might need some religious intervention by Father Elio. Uh oh. Because I my caller. Yes, you should. All right, give me a fans. I will be back shortly. Very good. So while Elio is getting properly adorned for my complaints, or I should say my uh, my confession, and here he comes. <laughs> yes, very good. <laughs> he's, he's actually wearing a religious garment. Uh, if you got if you guys want to hear a very funny uh exchange um go back up just a little bit in the episodes list and check out check out the one called Ben's religious experience we, we explain the whole uh religious garment and it's it's hilarious um but getting back to um to this my God, they suck at doing eliminations in these early Survivor Series because this one was like, oh, my God. Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith are both eliminated by Smash, right? Mm. Which in and of itself, okay. Because both, both members of, of Demolition are completely badass, so I can believe that they would take out two people, which I want it might be. But the clothesline that Smash hit was just ridiculous. 
and because prior to this, directly prior to the clothesline, he missed a flying headbutt. I swear, he missed. I mean, help me. Just miss a flying headbutt. I just, I don't under, I don't understand. And then to make themselves, to to make it even worse. After this. Action Smash are eliminated by countout because because of what um because of what uh, Elio just explained with Mr. Fuji pulling down now, the rope. Now, now, did you see the interview uh, with Fuji and the Powers of Pain? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, okay, all right, okay. You know what? You were asking me why, what caused the turn? Yeah. So in storyline, if Fuji. Ex- explained the turn he said he turned on demolition because since winning the championship they had become insubordinate and disrespectful to him whereas powers pain would be utterly obedient and loyal apprentices well okay well that, that answers my question i must have uh i'm i must have been um i must have taken a bathroom break during that promo yeah, because um, they they took they uh, threw it back to to I think it was Sean Mooney, uh, who was with the Power Spain and uh, Mr. Fuji and no Gene Okerlund, and he asked Fuji, "Why in the world did you turn on demolition?" So, um, but that answers my question right there. Okay, insubordination, which which incidentally will not be tolerated by Father Elio and his disciple. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, sit back, and pay attention. <laughs> we shall have no no fuckery occurring in the class. <laughs> you are not to have sticky hands with food, and this is not kindergarten. <laughs> sit down, shut the fuck up, and enjoy. But still, respectfully. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm, are you still wearing your religious garment? Because even though that question got answered, here comes here comes another one. All right, yep. Brother and I was here, and I was—I swear to God—I was—I was like restraining myself from reaching for my phone. Don't swear to God. Keep it like that. Well, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> because okay. So, okay, yeah, what's your question? So, Uno and Dos. Okay. They are the last ones in the ring with the powers of pain. I'm looking them up because I'm curious to see who was under the mask. So go yeah. on, go on. I mean, but but uh, you couldn't have a better tag team situation oh, to end that match. You couldn't have a face-off between yeah, that, Demolition. That, that... That was very, the pain I really, I really hated that ending. That was really weird. That fell apart. That totally fell apart at the end. So, so like, because this was shaping out to be a very good match because what they were able to pull off with okay. the double turn and this everything. Is, ben, sorry, this is so random. Yes. These teams are so random. These are two of the randomest names you will ever see on any WF Survivor Series team. Jose Luis Rivera 
and Jose Estrada Sr. These are two enhancement talents that were in the company at the time. And you put them on the Survivor Series. We gave them a pay-per-view. <laughs> well, and, and speaking of that, I I think I recognized the name that we, uh, we've gone over in, like, uh, whether it was the Mid-Atlantic or Memphis Territory. Oh, um, which one? No, Jose Luis Rivero? No, uh, Scott oh, Casey. Oh, Scott... Well, that was that's in the next match. No, no, but but that's yeah. that's my that's my point. I think um, because I was trying to figure out what the hell he was doing. But yeah, look, yeah, but yeah. Let, let, let's finish this one. So if if the if the stuff with with um, the British Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation hadn't taken place, mm-hmm. and the the weak ass ending because it was so like what you know um i probably would have given this a four star now because of because of all that it, it, it's downgraded to a three keep talking i'm just gonna pull up wrestling data i'm curious to see what wrestling data gave these uh, this pay-per-view go ahead but um but yeah so so far that was if they had just had that match and then like the main event mm-hmm. as the Survivor Series matches, mm-hmm. um, I would have been good with that because I think I think having four of the same style of matches to me it got a little bit tiring, you know, and um, and it's especially the the third match because. Oh my! Oh my! Okay, hold on, Ben. I have the ratings, star ratings here in front of me for all four matches. I just want to go over the ones we already covered. Okay, very good. Which is only uh one so far, include two, including this tag team. But um, yeah, we're well, we're done with that. So we we got through two. So the Ultimate Warrior uh match, the opening match got a four, a four out of six. Actually, a three point eight out of six. Okay, well that's that's a little bit higher than I would have given it, but it's not it's not ridiculous. So I'm not gonna go off on that. The tag team match we just finished four point four out of six. In what universe? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. <laughs> or, or or better yet, I feel who is that? Who's the host of Unsolved Mysteries? Stack. Yes, exactly. Thank you. God, you're a human encyclopedia, and I love you. That um, you can only get that kind of type of content on the Tuesday timeline. Absolutely, um, because I would, I was, I was using Stacks voice in my head, like, the, like trying to figure some of this stuff out. <laughs> I did was just uh and for some reason I don't know why I thought it'd be unsolved murder mystery host while I was watching this stuff, but for some reason that popped in my head. Okay. Um now the this third match here mm-hmm. is gonna draw the most heat for me because Okay, and you get again, give me the names and I'll tell you the backstory. Okay, so we had Andre the Giant. Okay. 
Rick Rude. Okay. Dino Dino Bravo. I'm still recovering from that week, but things like man. <laughs> okay. Did you sh- did you see me shake my head like a dog trying to get water out of my <laughs> hair? Just what that what the hell? Um, and then we have Mister Perfect, who, okay. by the way, small little detail here, but I still found it very weird. Elio, did you notice he wasn't wearing a singlet? I did. This was an early Mister Perfect. He had just uh, debuted at. Uh... He had just uh, made his uh, debut, and his uh, first paper, his uh, first WrestleMania will be in uh, in a couple of weeks. Well, very, very interesting because I'm yeah. like, holy shit, he's not in his trademark singlet. Yeah, this was uh, he had just uh, left AWA and signed with WBF. Cool. Um, and then you have. Harley Race and the and this team is accompanied by Bobby Heenan and Frenchie Martin, who, by the way, folks, I'm I'm not just saying this because of the weightlifting segment at I believe it was what was it the Wrestling Classic? No, no, Rumble '88. Yes, okay, so. Frenchie Martin annoys me. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But, I like Frenchie Martin. But not, like, okay, heel managers are supposed to annoy you, but this is not the, this was not the good wrestling heel kind of thing. No. He was just, because he was very annoying during the weightlifting thing, mm-hmm. you know, and he was very annoying and distracting during this match. Mm-hmm. I just was like, the hell yep so okay and then the um the opposing tag team was what in my opinion is the epitome of random <laughs> put together yep. tag team yep uh jim duggan jake roberts okay scott casey okay kem patera and Tito Santana. Now, okay, so let me see if I can uh, put these together. Cause again, this is a random team, so I'm I'm not even sure who's feeling with who here. But Andre Giant at this point was uh, feeling with Jake Snake Roberts, cause he was supposedly afraid of snakes. And even anytime anyone said the word snake, he'd be like, "Don't say snake." And he'd be like scared it on Sunday Speed event. Uh, he froze in fear in the middle of the ring as Jake pulled out Damien out of the bag and then uh, he threw it on Andre and Andre like uh, fell to the mat and like was like paralyzed with fear because Damien was on him. Yeah. So Andre was feeling with Jake. Uh, Tino Bravo was feeling with Hector Jim Duggan. Right. Um, Mr. Perfect and Recruit, I guess, aside from being best friends, I don't remember them feuding with Scott Casey, Kim Patera, or Tito Santana. Well, Scott Casey was a was a like a third string replacement because um I I'm just reading this here. Um, oh wait, who was he replacing? So Junkyard Dog. 
and B. Brian Blair, who both left the company before the match. Oh, okay. That, okay, that explains the randomness of Punch and Brunson in the opening match. Okay. Yeah, and it explains the randomness of Scott Casey. All right. Because even, even when you go and look him up on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. it says that this match was his most high-profile match in WWF. Yeah, because up to this point, he was only an enhancement talent, unlike South Championship Wrestling, where he was the man. Yeah, which, 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 which is why I got confused, because I immediately recognized the name from, uh, you know, some of our classic wrestling uh, review segments. Just like Iron Mike Sharp, he was a man in the mid-Atlantic, and he was a, he was an enhancement talented, uh, freaking um, WBF. So, in terms of the wrestling action, this was this was probably um, some of the best. But then again, like the the match kind of irritated me a little bit um, because it really um, it really didn't pick up until the very end of the match. Um, but th- this was um, this was interesting in the in the fact where the he- the heels very quickly gained the advantage um, in in this match because um, let's see let me see if I can get the order of eliminations okay so Tito Santana who by the way just I have, even I have him in front of me as well so I can follow along here. Who, but by the way, folks, once again, um, once again, Tito Santana was routinely referred to as Chico by Jesse the Body Mentor. And now you have to understand, folks, if you've listened to this show at all more than once, you'll you'll understand that I am not the king of politically correct. I do not. I I, I literally do not care. That is something that that really pisses me off and you know and i'm not i'm not the guy that's like uber sensitive like oh you can't say that oh you can't say this but some of this rape racial stuff uh was was really uh getting on my nerves and it was like you know obviously that wouldn't fly today but i can't tell you how many times i was like And there was an even worse example in the main event, which we'll get to later. That's, but, that's why watching these shows and listening to the commentary as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, so okay. So, getting back to the um, uh, order of eliminations, if my uh, page would work for me, which apparently it has chosen not to at this current well, time. I, I have it in front of me, like I said, so if you have to, you need time, I can, uh... Okay, I just fixed it. We're good. All right. Hang on. So, Ken Patera was eliminated by Rick Rude. Mm-hmm. Ken Patera was not having a good string <laughs> of paid reviews at this point. No, uh, he's not. Scott Casey was eliminated by Dean, by Dino Bravo. At this point, it's now five on three in favor of the heels. The next elimination was 
Harley race eliminated by Tito Santana. And speaking of speaking of commentary, and Elio, I know I I know I do this quite a bit, so just please um you know humor me. But this time okay. this right. this this time I have a, a point. It's not just to make a joke. Okay. So you know how I comment on you know wrestlers' tattoos and what such. Yep. And you know I'm a, I'm a tattoo guy, so I notice that stuff. Um, well, commentary took a special interest in Harley Race's tattoos. Um, and I found that to be very weird. Especially <laughs> <laughs> since it was still 1988. Because. You know, because you have to understand, right? Um, you know, tattoos didn't become a, a big thing until, like, you know, later. You know, like, in the in the 90s and stuff, I would say. So, back in this day, like, Harley Race was a heavily tattooed guy with, like, three tattoos. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, and they're, like, Navy-related tattoos, I think. But um, but my point was, um, so Harley, so commentary was like, Jesse was like, you know, do you have any tattoos um there, uh, Gino? Uh, he's like, no, absolutely not, no. Uh, he's like, are you sure? I'm like, he's like, I'm pretty sure, yeah. It, 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 it was just a very strange, uh, <laughs> uh, very, very weird uh, yeah, comment in, in commentary. Some of these early reviews, the commentary is like really weird at times. Um, so that was just a snippet that I that I picked out because okay. especially especially in the eighties, you know, nobody really heard about tattoos mm-hmm. and, and like you know like. WWE didn't really start pointing them out until like Bam Bam Bigelow came on the team. Right. Well, that was in 1987. Is when he joined. Well, I mean that was like, but see, that was like the first time they did that, right? So it it wasn't like a big thing to spotlight somebody's tattoos, right? So I, I just I just found that interesting. Okay. But then, um, so. Harley Race is eliminated by Tito Santana. Uh, Tito Santana is is then eliminated by Andre the Giant. Jim Duggan is eliminated by disqualification after he grabbed a two by four and hit Bravo in the chest and the back. You know, and once again, folks, this might seem like a trivial detail to you, but what this was happening too much throughout the evening. It's like, what's the point of having these guys in a match if they're just going to be like, oh, this match isn't important enough. I'm just going to get disqualified. <laughs> right. You know, it, so... Why are you, why are you in the match then? So that's like one criticism that I would have of the early Survivor Series that I... Because that, we've covered... You know, this is the second one now. Um, and they really have not done a good job of explaining the purpose of the Survivor Series matches. Like, what's on the line? 
you know, they don't even mention bragging rights, which was a huge thing for WWE in years later for the Survivor Series concept. It's just these matches are just kind of there. And that's that's like an early criticism that I have um, for these Survivor Series situations. So then um, Rick Rude was eliminated by Jake Roberts. And then Andre the Giant is eliminated by disqualification because he wouldn't let go of a choke. Um, he he was um, he was uh, like you said they had a storyline at the time where Andre was scared of of Damien, which yeah. I which was hilarious to me because he's five hundred pound monster and he's. He's scared, so he's choking the life out of Jake the Snake. And meanwhile, Rick Rude's probably in the back laughing his ass off because he's got, you know, he's got, um, you know, this thing going on with Cheryl Roberts, which, once again, commentary is mentioning as this is going on. All right, Ben, bit of trivia here. Did yeah. you know that Jake Roberts is afraid of snakes? Yeah, I did. I see. When I know when I first heard that, though. Because I didn't know that before, but yeah. like, but he's Jake Snake Roberts. He's afraid of snakes. Well, that's what makes it so. That that's what makes it so cool. Because he was he was that afraid and was still that badass in yeah. his delivery. Like, like you know, no, like I didn't know that. I like, heard it a while back. That's a that's a testament to how good Jake actually is. Yeah. Um, because. You know, snakes don't freak me out. I actually had a boa constrictor around my neck when I was in the second grade. Somebody brought it in for, like, show and tell or something. Wow. And, um, you know, they were like, you know, of course they had, like, a handler. And they were like, anyone want to put this, you know, on them? You know, and, and everyone was like, no. And you know, I'm like, I'll do it. <laughs> Um, okay. Ben the St. Pierce. There we go. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this match was um, left a little bit to be desired in terms of uh, in, in terms of I'll say outcomes mm -hmm. because the eliminations and how they were handled um didn't didn't really sit well with me. Okay. Um. So the sole survivors are Mr. Perfect and Tina Bravo. Um. And this, this, um, this one got a three point three out of uh, six. Yeah. Well, so that that makes sense because this one was a little bit lacking. What I did like about the match was the was the psychology of having the heels outnumber the baby faces by so much. Mm -hmm. I I really did enjoy that. Um, some of the some of the spots really dragged on and and made the match longer than it had to be. I would say if you shave about ten minutes off of this, it would have been better. That's just my opinion. Um, so if we were doing the typical high points low points, this would this would probably be a low point for me. Um, but, um, but as you'll see when we get into the, um, 
into the next match, um, that was a lot, a lot more storyline driven versus just like, like guys solving their own individual issues with a tag match. If that makes sense. Um, so before we get into uh, the main event. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break because we have about six minutes and counting on the clock here. And obviously this main event is going to take a lot more than six minutes to uh, dissect as you, as you can tell by how long we've taken with the three matches so far. Um, but, um, but before we before we go, I want you to keep something in mind for when we come back from break. Okay, now keep keep in mind if you guys go back and and watch these these matches with the with the mega powers, uh, le- leading up to um, WrestleMania five. Um, I think it was five. I'm pretty sure. Wasn't it five? The one that's coming up in the yeah. eighty nine. Yep, yeah, WrestleMania five. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so keep your eye on Randy Savage and the way that he's looking at Hulk Hogan when he's when he's celebrating with Miss Elizabeth. Yep, that that's what I've been telling you to this whole time. Keep looking at Randy Savage. That's your dead giveaway, and 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 when we come back, we're gonna talk specifically about that. And um, and how it was even more pronounced than the than the SummerSlam ending. Um, and I was actually I was actually surprised by more than one aspect of this. So keep keep that little nugget in your mind, and we'll be right back. All right, we're back, and we're going to get into the final match of the Survivor Series. It's the Mega Powers team against the Twin Towers team. And, um, you know, if you weren't a direct member of Mega Powers or, um, or the, uh, what am I trying to say? Or the, the Mega Bucks team, uh, then you have a problem. Or not the Mega Bucks, the, the Twin, Twin Towers. Towers. Yeah. Um, because their their partners were very very random, okay. Especially on the Mega Powers team. <laughs> yeah, well, we have. Go on. On the Mega Powers side, we have Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, and then Hercules, Coco Beware, and Hillbilly Jim. I'm trying to help you as much as I can here. <laughs> go on. Just random as fuck, if you ask me. Um, and even if you didn't, you just heard my pain. Uh, the Twin Towers, uh, partner with Ted DiBiase, Haku, and the fucking Red Rooster. Okay, so let me try and, uh, help you out here. Please. So the Mega Powers are feuding with the Twin Towers. This will tie into the early part of 1989, uh, more specifically, uh, February of 89. All right, Hercules, okay. Hercules, of course, is feuding with Ted DiBiase over 
Heenan is selling Hercules is contracted in Ted DiBiase as a DiBiase slave. And that was so bad. Uh, you know, the, the commentary of of Jesse the Body Ventura. Now, I understand. I'm not ripping anybody. I'm not. But, you know, different time, all that. I acknowledge that. But who in the fuck, and I, I'm being, you know, it's a, it's a rhetorical question because I know the answer. But who in the fuck? would think that calling somebody a slave and a master in a, ma- in a wrestling match would be a good idea. Who thought that story would be a good idea? Huh? Vinny! <laughs> Vinny! I have a question. <laughs> now, oh, that's, now, that's not smart. <laughs> now, Hillbilly Jim has nothing to do with uh, King Haku, so these two were random. And best I can tell you, red rooster. Best I can tell you, on one side you have a rooster, on the other side you have a bird. That's the best I can do. (laughs) (laughs) That's gonna be the title: the rooster and the bird. (laughs) Write that down. That's gonna be the title. All right. So go ahead, Ben. Oh God. All right. Um. Oh, that was too funny. So, um, we have, um, we have the continuation of the, what would become the deterioration of the Mega Powers in Hogan and Savage, um, as a result of, of the end of this match, and specifically, um, Hulk Hogan hugging Miss Elizabeth. Hulk Hogan is so creepy in this match. Um, like, like well, even creepier than than usual. Well, yeah. And um, speaking of creepy, did you did you uh, see his baptism video? Oh yeah, I saw it. That was just it, weird. It was it was bad. Um, <clears throat> but that's what Hogan is. He's a creepy bastard. Yeah. Um. Anywho, years before Christian, <laughs> well, Christian was the creepy little bastard. That's true. Paul Kogan is the creepy big bastard. <laughs> All right, go Let's ahead. See. So, um, the the surrounding players started getting eliminated rather quickly, mm-hmm. which was which was a good thing because it really got down to the nitty gritty of what the match was. Uh, Red Rooster was eliminated by Randy Savage mm-hmm. um, after a uh, after a leg drop and a bionic elbow. Bye bye. Um, and then uh, Hillbilly Jim was eliminated by Akeem. I forgot what a big motherfucker Akeem is. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. And I, I, I gotta say, I didn't like the Akeem character. I prefer One Man Gang. What, what do you think? Oh, I prefer One Man Gang by a long shot. I, don't, I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand this whole, like, transformation to Akeem. Well, what was the, what was the, do you know what the end goal with that character was? Or what he, what he was even trying to portray with that? 
because I don't, I didn't understand the Akeem character. Okay, you. Want, I, I'm gonna give you the backstory on this. Okay. Okay. So, around this time, the women gang had disappeared, and they started running vignettes, which like out in the dark desert. Like they were calling it the deepest, darkest parts of Africa, and they managed for a few weeks and. And it concluded with the rebirth of one man gang as Akeem, the African dream, like Slick was saying, he's been reborn as the African dream. And oh boy, this is his new <laughs> name. And he came out, he, he would come out to the ring dance and to drive so bro, which was just weird. <laughs> so pretty much that's uh, the backstory on that. <laughs> that was just the way you told that story. It was and your your phrasing was just hilarious. Oh dear. But that's no, how it happened. I know, but you're trying to make you know chicken salad out of chicken shit and I just find it entertaining. <laughs> 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 Good you. Um, but um, oh, where's the thing again? Hold on, I just gotta pull it back up. There we go. Um, Coco Beware, the bird was eliminated by the big boss man. Uh, Hercules was eliminated by Ted DiBiase. Oh my God, the roll up of death. I hate roll ups. <laughs> I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. Hey, Elio, guess what? What? You I hate, hate roll ups. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. They are the bane of my existence in pro wrestling. Um, and once we go over all the eliminations, um, we'll get back into the specifics of the match and the dynamics. Um, uh, Ted DiBiase was eliminated by uh, Randy Savage with the roll-up of death. I hate roll-ups. Um, did I mention that? I'm sorry. Uh, big Boss Man. Oh, God. They did it again. Even in the main event, they did it again. Big Boss Man eliminated by Countout. Apparently, the correctional officer from Georgia isn't very intelligent. Here. And then, for the second time, the second time, Elio, we had a countout, or no, a disqualification. So one, we had a countout. Two, we had a disqualification. These people are idiots. <laughs> They're morons. And my question to you, sir, yes. and, and once again, I'm sorry you have to attempt to answer this question, okay. but... What was the point of Survivor Series if, if none of the combatants took it seriously? Good God. I have no idea. I, like, the first one was their, their experimental uh, Thanksgiving tradition. This one, I <laughs> guess they, they tried to come back with a second annual one, and I... Well, I think I think I the first one was better. I prefer the first one to this one. This one was just really weird. Yeah, I um, originally I'm thinking to myself, how are we going to make an entire podcast out of this? But we've managed to do it quite well. Um, 
if I do say so myself. Can I pat myself on the back? There you go. I'm Barry Horowitz approved to pat on the back. Exactly. Um, so we have the the sole survivors is Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan. Now, getting back into the specifics of the match, remember what I said about outside bullshit? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, this is where we really get into the into the weeds here, okay? Because the the match really gets interesting when it is Haku um, and um, against Savage while while Hogan is cuffed to the rope, okay? Okay. You know, apparently. Apparently a big strong motherfucker. You know the 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 um handcuffs are just the death of professional wrestling. They can't <laughs> deal with handcuffs. You know it's like you know they hook them into the cage. It's like it's so easy to break it. It's just like I could break that because this <laughs> the because it's not secure to the fencing of the cage. Mm-hmm. It's just it drives me nuts. Anywho, so this entire, you know, ending of the match over a half an hour long is based off these big motherfuckers battling over handcuffs. And who gets the handcuff key? Elizabeth. Miss Elizabeth, because she's intelligent and the rest of them are not. Just Ventura. Elizabeth pickpocketed Slick. She stole his wallet. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. I actually thought for that. that. That was really cool. Um, so, so, back to, back to the stuff. The thing that took me out of this match, right, is the entire early part of it was completely unnecessary because the participants that were not directly in either the Mega Powers or the Twin Towers were completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So really, there were only three or four relevant people uh, in this match, which, um, which is just it's it's hard for me to believe that you have so many extraneous. Uh, factors going on when you have only four matches. And yes, I, I understand the Survivor Series format, and I admit that by the end of the by the end of the four hour process of me watching this, even though the sh- the show is only two and a half hours l- hours long, that's how you know I do research for these shows. Um, <clears throat> that I spent four hours dissecting this shit. Um. You should be very proud of me. Uh, Barry Horowitz approved slap on the back number two. Um, it's just you know all of this stuff is irrelevant, and then you get down to the to the big stuff, you know. And and I understand like building a match and stuff like this, but this is this is thirty minutes long, and it's just I would say twenty minutes of it was irrelevant, and that's what. That's what brings it down as a match. Is it fun? Sure, because you're you're 
by having all of these eliminations, the way that they were handled, you're making here you're making Hogan look like the hero that he's supposed to be. You're making him look sympathetic, you know, with the whole um, Elizabeth thing. Um, and and this is um, and and in just a second we'll get further into the Elizabeth thing, but you just have so you have. You just have so many outside factors, and by the end of the night, it's like, am I supposed to focus on the outside factors where the storyline is, or am I supposed to focus on the match? You know, and and that's um, that was one of the things that I was really struggling with as we were um, as I was watching this pay per view. Now, um. And and the one thing that I really didn't like in particular um, were the eliminations of Akeem and the Big Boss Man because especially the Big Boss Man because it just made him look like a moron. Yeah. It it, it made it, I mean it made him look like a simpleton. You know, and and with with how the Big Boss Man was. Um, portrayed as like cerebral and stuff later on this was not a good start for for that um so so instead of instead of focusing so much on the match i tried to focus on the storyline and and that's why i said you know before we went to break keep an eye on savage because if if we go back to uh, SummerSlam, uh, just for a second, um, the first time that Hogan hugged, um, <clears throat> Hogan hugged Miss Elizabeth, and, and Savage is up on the rope, and he turns around and sees it, and was like, what the, and, you know, Elizabeth goes to hug him, and as she's doing that, he's got his arms out, like, you know, what the hell, but, but this, this was even more, um, he was even more animated here. And what surprised me, folks, is that the commentators didn't say anything about it. I can understand, you know, them not saying anything about it the first time, but the second time when it was even more obvious, I mean, you know, Savage was looking at Hogan like he was going to kill him. <laughs> Oh, yeah. and, and and this was the perfect precursor to to their breakup, which happened in early 1989, which is why I cannot wait to get into 1989 specifically. Um, and this is I, and this is what set up the um, the the main event of WrestleMania Five, which once again I cannot wait to get into that specifically. Um, so I really like some of the storyline aspects of it. Um, the wrestling left a lot to be desired because it was hard to analyze it from that perspective because you just had so many bodies and so many, um, moving parts. It's like, to me, it was like trying to, uh, keep track of the war games match, but this was even worse because it was... There were so many more bodies. 
that's what the um that's my comparison um to draw there but um this you know if they were capable of this level of storytelling in the 80s mm -hmm. i you know this tells you how much vince lost touch yep because now granted i know the 80s are a different time and stuff like that but if you look at this at this stuff with the Hogan and Miss Elizabeth, and then you have you have stuff like um, you know Mr. McMahon and Stone Cold. You have Undertaker and Kane. You have um, you know all all of these great stories, um, and then and then you end up getting the project that we've gotten for 15 years. Now, granted, it started getting better now, but, um, you know, for 15 years, I'm like, these shows that suck are run by the same guy that was coming up with this shit. Right. I mean... And what have I always been saying? We don't even know which version of Raw we were getting at any time because they always kept rewriting the show I've been it before it went on the air. And literally, there were some days where it was reported that the show was still being written while it was on the air. So it's like you never know which which version you're getting. You could get a version. You get a version that would. You could have a version that was originally good, but they rewrote it, and we got one that sucked. Yeah, it's just it's hard to reconcile that that. Um, you know, back then, in so much simpler times, they were coming up with this shit, with so much intrigue, it's like a fucking, um, you know, mystery novel. And then, and then you got fucking, you know, the Usos rubbing Usi hot. You know, <laughs> in, in, in that was so room bad. Or, or, that was bad. Or, or like FTR shitting each other's backs. Stop. Which no wonder they left WWE at the time. So it, it's just a um, it was a free fall into hell. Uh, you know, from this to where we eventually got. Um, because this is the kind of storytelling that draws people into professional wrestling. That is why we focus so much on the stories and stuff like that on this show, because that's what makes it interesting. Because wrestling in and of itself is a very repetitive thing. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody has their minds or movesets and things like that. It's the stories that hook you. Yep. It's the human aspect that hooks you. And how could you? And how could you not feel bad for Randy Savage? You know, even even if he was a dick, I mean, he's perfectly justified in being a dick. Yep. You know, in this scenario, so um, it was a very good way to end uh, Survivor Series nineteen eighty eight. And like I said, specifically, I, 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 I have a question: Did it, did it go off the air, right off the air? Did it go right off the air for you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't just me. Okay. And it, it, that, it was very, very weird. It was because um, they didn't have the typical wrap-up. Yeah, that's and right. It just kind of went. Um, yeah, it just kind of yeah. went. So I was like, oh, it's over. Okay. 
Um, but um, it, it, it accomplished its goal. This, so this is why this one gets a higher rating for me. Mm-hmm. I would say this one is like a 3.5. Um, Wrestling Daddy gave it a four. <laughs> well, I, but once again, that's not so ridiculous that I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, there have been other occasions where it's like the our my opinion versus theirs is so far apart that it's like somebody is fucked up in how they're looking at this. Yeah. Um, but um, I love this for the for the storyline and what it's setting up. And that's why I love doing a show like this because we get to go back and really analyze the storylines with the knowledge we have now, you know, and use it to to analyze stuff from back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I love it, and um, you know that's why you know you have a format show that get, you know that easily is going to go for an hour and a half discussion. On the podcast, I'm assuming. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the exact running time that this is going to have, but, you know, this is our third recording of 40-minute uh, sessions. So, I mean, it just goes to show you how much, uh, you know, storytelling can really drive you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll shut up now. Uh, what did you... <laughs> What did you think of uh, this main event? No, um, this main event, uh, the storytelling was great because remember this all started in March '88 at WrestleMania four. So the way they they they're laying out the story is great, but like some of the matches were Smash wasn't bad. The early eliminations. Uh, we're fine because uh, the whole point of the match was uh, to highlight the storyline. Exactly. Um, you know, this, and this the storyline could have been told without the uh, Survivor Series yeah. um, stipulation attached to it. Yep. So, but, uh, um, so that takes us to the end of our uh, Survivor Series uh, 1989 review and um, 1988. You know, or nine, I'm sorry. My co-host yeah. is so anxious to jump into 1989. Yes, I I really am. I'm I'm very excited. About little it. little little Ben wants to get his first Christmas over and done with. Yes, I actually <laughs> I actually have a um, I actually have a uh, Christmas ornament from oh. my first Christmas. I still have that. Oh, cool. I I had mine until it got thrown out. It was a drunk Santa Claus. Why did your mom throw things away? I don't <laughs> know. I had a stack of wrestling magazines going back to like 1986. Do you know where they are? In the trash? Exactly. Somewhere in the trash. I, oh. You know what I should do? I should make a I should make a collage. I can send you a collage of all the magazines I had because I can I remember every single one that I had. Yeah, that's that's blasphemy. That's blasphemy on the same level of your brother dragging you out of the main event of wrestling. I mean, I, I mean, God damn. I mean, this is, this is, my mom always said wrestling. Mag- 
I'm like, Ma, she's supposed to magazine, that's money. She's like, she, she always said those magazines aren't worth anything. Yeah, I went on Amazon and uh, well, she doesn't get it. I went on Amazon once and I saw um from April '92 it had Hulk Hogan, Sid, Ric Flair, and Randy Savage on the cover. It was selling for two hundred fifty dollars. Well, that that's that yeah, that's money right there, Mrs. Canella. <laughs> right. Sit, sit her in front of the screen and explain this to her. You know, be the be the dean of Elio Canella University, except right. to your mother. And oh, I, 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 I tried. I, I, I was telling her, like, it's like, okay, it's enough, right? <laughs> Jeez. All right, guys. Well, we've had a lot of fun. So, um, but- well, hold on. Before we, uh, we head out, we have to tell the fans who we have next week. We will be going into the new year, 1989. We will, the DeLorean will take us to January, Sunday, January 15th at 4 p.m. in the afternoon, live from the summit in Houston, Texas for the Royal Rumble, the second annual Royal Rumble. Oh, and speaking of locations, I forgot to mention this. I'm sorry. This was, uh, this was from uh, Ridgefield, Ohio. I already, I already mentioned that at the top of the show. Oh, I, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. There you go. But, um, and again, pay attention to Hogan and Savage and Roy Rumble, Ben. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, that will be next week. And, of course, I'll be going to the movies yet again. And this time we, I'll be going to see... A classic that came out in December of '88, Rain Man. Oh, I well, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I'll tell you a story about that uh, next week. Very cool. Along with the story about Royal Rumble '89. Uh, and I'm sure did. I'm sure I'll have a lot of questions about that too. So stay tuned, folks. It's going to be a good one. So until then, uh, we'll be back on Saturday with the first episode of the PNC Restaurant Podcast for 2024. Till then, I'm Elio. He's Ben. Ben, say good night to the fans. Good night to the fans. Uh, no, th- thanks for hanging out, guys. We really have a good time with this um, sister show that we've developed, and we hope you're enjoying it too. We'll see you next time. Roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. Thank <laughs> you.